Mom, Dad, you should shop Amazon for back to school and save some money. See, I'm currently obsessed with superheroes and need all the superhero stuff. Superhero lunchbox, superhero backpack. But next year, it'll be something else. Maybe dinosaurs? I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. But I can tell you not to spend a fortune and shop low prices for school on Amazon. Okay, good chat. Amazon. Spend less, smile more. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Most buyers want to take this business and run with it and make it their own. So that being said, leading up to a sale, your role in the business has to be reduced as much as it possibly can because if you're taking on too many roles it's going to make it harder for a buyer to jump in and do the same thing as you're doing. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are going to talk today about Jessica's article in Inc. What a great thing, right? So she had an article uh, that was written by Minda, Minda, Minda Zetlin. Zetlin. And it's, it's called Selling Your Business. These five simple changes can boost your price by 50% and some 80% of owners can sell their business at any price. So you can flip those odds in your favor. We've been talking about stuff like this for a long time, but I thought this article was great. Number one, that you are uh, quoted and have this article in ink. Congratulations. I think it's a great thing. So let's talk about it. Yeah. I, I mean, like, Look, we've talked a lot, Andy, that mo- most businesses don't sell, right? And the statistics, we, I mean, we've, we've both discussed this. We don't know how accurate they are, but, you right. know, sometimes the IBBA will say only 20% of businesses are listed for sale or, you know, there's other data out there, but we know that, that the majority are not selling, right? And I think from our experience, um, both both of ours, but also holistically in the broker world, we know that there's some really simple things business owners can do to get their business ready for sale, right? And increase those odds in their favor. Right. You know, exactly. With your book, Exit Factor, you talk about that whole process and you do have a process for it. Uh, But this article kind of like drilled down like five things you can do right now, right? Yep. Yeah. So let's, let's just go in order. The first ones, um, if anyone is a longtime listener to the show, probably not going to be that shocking. I feel like we might be a broken record here, but it's cleaning up your financial documents. And, and honestly, like I joke being about a broken record or stuff, but it's really, it's the single most important thing you can do to ensure a sale and ensure you get your selling price up. And when we're talking about financial documents, we're talking about your income statement, your balance sheet, but there's other documents too, that need to be in order, your tax returns, your bank statements kind of all need to work together. Um, but I, I mean, like Andy, I, I don't think we've understated this, but I don't know if we can overstate the importance enough of your financial documentation. Yeah, it's, it's really important. And every dollar, every dollar that is somehow missed or hidden or un, un, unfindable by a reasonable due diligence, you are going to, it's going to cost you two, three, four, 
$5 on an exit. And it can be significant. And if you're brutalizing your financial documents and they're not in good order, no one's going to finance that transaction. And that will cost you cash at closing. And that could be significant. I use a little uh, presentation saying that, you know, seller financing is usually about 50%. So if you have an $800,000 deal, it'll cost you, four, you know, it'll cost you $400,000 to finance it. So at the closing table, you get 400, cost you $100,000 in fees, you're walking away with $300,000, right? At best. If you have good books and records, that same business is probably going to sell for more money because people can leverage into it. It has better books and records. So let's say another $200,000, it sells for a million dollars. It costs the buyer 20% down or even 10. You get a million dollars at closing. It's still about $100,000 worth of cost, maybe a little bit more. And you're walking with 900 instead of 300. It's three times the money. Yeah, it's crazy. And these, I mean, these situations happen every day to us and it kills me every time. We actually, we just had one. And, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about if you don't have clean books and records, like, you know, it's it's going to limit the value of the business, maybe it won't sell. But sometimes like you just, as an owner, you don't know what you're making. So we just had a business that sold um, for about $600,000. And when the, the buyer was doing due diligence, he found there was about $50,000 of personal expenses that were run through the business that the owner didn't know about right? So never even figured it out. Now has it under contract to sell. Had he kept better books or cleaner books or moved that out of the business into another entity or into your personal, which is what we recommend a lot of the times. And I think he sold it like a three and a half times multiple, right? So 50,000 times three and a half times, that's a significant chunk of change to walk away. It's almost $200,000. I mean, it's, you know, $175,000. It's they should have, they could have had, and that certainly will pay for a lot of things in your retirement. Also, there is no excuse for this anymore. So with the advent of computers and point of sale systems and QuickBooks, and even beyond QuickBooks, uh, there are companies out there that will do this all for you. It's just incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, so how do we fix this? Like if you're sitting in a situation, how do you fix this? QuickBooks is, is a great tool. Um, there's tons of bookkeepers now. Um, you can hire one as a freelancer. You can hire one in your business. There's even like, um, they're called apps, but there's people behind them, right? But there's apps that'll do your bookkeeping for you. But really it's, it's figuring out what expenses are necessary in your business and what are not of business nature, right? So a lot of questions that we ask our clients is we'll say, hey, is this an expense that's necessary in the business or you would give as a benefit to a manager coming in, right? So if you're paying for your whole family's cell phone bill through your business, which is a common example that we see, sure. right? Just ask yourself, if you hired a manager to replace yourself, would you also pay for that manager's family cell phone bill? The answer is probably no, right? Unless you're right. very- compassionate giving owner. <laughs> but there's a lot of things like that. And th those small things add up right over time. And that's how you get to these 50,000 chunks of change being missed in a business um, or something you're not able to increase value from. So how you fix it is really hire it out and then go through your expenses on a quarterly basis as you're preparing for sale and, and ask, is this an expense that's necessary in the business? And sometimes too, is this still working? Cause there's a lot of stuff we just keep going in our businesses 
that's not working anymore. A lot of subscriptions, monthly things that get caught up in our books and records. We don't even need anymore. Yeah, you you should be going through your credit card statements uh, as you think about selling and just trying to get rid of all those things that you know that you're not using anymore. Uh, I know I have a few things on there that I could clean up as well. And you know, I did see like KPMG, big accounting firm, obviously has come out with a small business uh, QuickBooks like app that is applied to your business. And then you get a counselor and people that will help you at KPMG. It's, it's pretty sharp. I mean, there, there's going to be more stuff like that. So just so much, but I think to um, taking a, a step back from this, even if you're not like planning on selling today, like going through your expenses and cleaning them up, like you can boost your profit overnight by doing this. So it's kind of a no brainer to put this in action on a quarterly basis, no matter what stage you are in your business. Yeah. And we're talking about inflation now and we're talking about recession. It's a good time to do this. And also what it's a good time to do is make the business less about you. Yeah. I mean, most, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you're going there, but I'll, I'll jump in. So, I mean, most buyers assume that the founders are going to be gone um, in a year or less than a year. Actually, it's a common misconception we get from a lot of sellers. I think they're going to have to stay on for years or multiple years. And, and that's true in some situations, but in most situations, that transition period's a year or less. Um, actually, if they use an SBA loan, the buyer uses an SBA loan that's defined that it has to be a year or less. Uh, most buyers want to take this business and run with it and make it their own. So that being said, leading up to a sale, your role in the business has to be reduced as much as it possibly can because if you're taking on too many roles it's going to make it harder for a buyer to jump in and do the same thing as you're doing. Yeah. I just sat down with two sellers uh, and I was talking to them and one of them, we stopped the whole meeting and said, give us a list of what you do. And at one point they did say, and it says it in your article as well. It's like, well, I do the payroll. I'm like, why, yeah. why are you doing payroll at this point in the game? I mean, between paychecks, ADP, local payroll companies, it's cheap enough. You should not be doing that anymore in your business. And if you want another good book to read, or I don't know if we talked about good books yet, but the E-Myth, right? Yep. That's all about not making your business yourself. And the E-Myth is a great book just to read by Michael Gerber. Uh, he has a whole consulting side to his business uh, that they've come up with, but it's about systematizing your business. Yeah. And really, if you think about it as entrepreneurs, we all want like two things, right? We want freedom and we want money. And that's why we created our businesses in the first place, but we get caught up in this. I feel like I can do it better than anybody else mentality sometimes. And that's when we start taking on too many roles. But I mean, Emith is a great method to start to figure out how and what roles to get out of. But one I, I mentioned in the article and what I like too is actually a sign of value to each role that you're doing, right? So if, if you're paying, say you have to pay a bookkeeper $50 an hour and you've like 10 hours a month of work, right? And as the owner, when you're doing your highest generating activities, say it's sales or rainmaking, you're making like $500 an hour then why are you spending time doing a $50 an hour role? You're actually losing money when you're doing that time versus money trade. So that's, I mean, that's something I mentioned in the article of like when you figure out what roles you have to get out of first, that's a good method. Another one is just like the stuff you hate doing, right? 
uh, I, we talked to so many business owners too, Andy, and a, a lot of it is bookkeeping and payroll is one of the first two things they come out of their mouth that they hate doing it. So, so why, why are we doing it still? I mean, there's even, it's just like technology is, is so crazy. Now, if you don't have a super complicated payroll structure, there's companies like we use Gusto where you can just automate your payroll, right? So you right. don't even have to go in and process it every two weeks. Right. There's, yeah. but there's plenty of ways to get things off your desk. And you want to do that because when a buyer comes to look at your business, they have to imagine themselves being in your chair. And if uh, you're filling up the uh, soda machine every single week, that's not a good use of your time. Certainly not what a buyer wants to see. Uh, if you're still cleaning your own bathrooms, you know, it's time to get rid of all well, that kind of stuff. It's interesting too. We've talked on the show about like who buys businesses, right? And if we look at that individual buyer category where a lot of them are coming from corporate and they're they're trying to start or buy their own, own first business. If you think about back in like my corporate days were long ago and very short, but like I had one role in corporate, right? I was in charge of marketing online. That's it. Like I wasn't in charge of marketing and sales and janitorial and hiring and firing. And like, so you've got these, these buyers that, aren't used to sitting in all these different seats. And it's, it's really overwhelming if you think about it. Yeah. And especially if you're in a business, we were just dealing with a business that was a pool leak contractor, right? So they sent out people to uh, check for pool leaks and they're the number one pool leak contractor here in Florida, which is obviously a pretty big business. And, you know, the owner doesn't jump in a pool anymore and check for leaks and, but he has technicians. And not only that, he wasn't um, even the contractor uh, that you need to be a contractor to do this pool leak work. Uh, and so uh, the employee basically had to sign an employment contract with the new buyer. And we got that all done and we were able to. But the first thing the buyer did was when they started the business, they applied to become a contractor themselves because, Just you know, that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so you have the backup. But I mean, I mean, how many more buyers did that? situation open up the business to versus if the right. owner was the contractor and the one doing the leaks, right? Right. Which talking about contracts. Yes. So next in step three or the, uh, of the five most important things you can do to increase the business values. We talk about reviewing your contracts and we, we've touched on this a little bit on the show. And I think we've had some legal experts on, on how businesses are sold from a legal perspective. So most businesses are sold businesses are sold in what's called an asset sale. And what happens in those sales is that you have, you know, company A that has all the assets and we transfer them to company B. Well, when that happens, you have to assign any contracts in your business. So this could be with your customers, your vendors, your employees. You have to assign that over to the buyer's new company. But in order for that to happen, you have to have what, Andy? You have to have an assignment clause in your contracts, which we do. Uh, we have an assignment clause in our contracts. And it's just a healthy thing. You know, I'm going through right now with a landlord, someone who's been in their space for over 30 years, the, the lease is due and they want to put in an onerous new assignment clause into a very old lease, which back in the day, you know, leases used to say, will, will not be withheld without unreasonable consent or, you know, will not be withheld without. Anyway, yeah. so- the new ones, of course, have all kinds of assignment fees and uh, the sellers stay on personally and um, all kinds of things, personal guarantees post-closing. So we're, we're negotiating that now and it, it's, it's a mess. 
So you want to have, you want to know what your assignment clauses are. We've seen some ridiculous assignment clauses in some of the leases and shopping centers where the landlord gets to keep the profits from the increased value of your business. Yeah. We actually saw that once. We've seen that a couple of times. We've seen recently, we've seen um, an hourly billable rate, like $500 an hour for them working on the assignments, almost like a lawyer would. Um, and I'll tell you, landlord's clocks run way faster than lawyers do for some reason. Right. But right. Um, and, yeah, it, it's just- Yeah, no, no, I was going to say like, listen, and there's other uh, contracts out there that we're dealing with out there in the world. There's medical insurance uh, contracts where, uh, you know, they, they're signed up with different insurance companies. There's uh, contracts for, uh, for supply, for dealerships. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we've run into that can get very, very sticky. Yeah. And look, you can, you can get around this and there's, there's another way to sell business for called like a stock sale, which is not the preferential way to sell a small business. We won't talk about that today, but I think the important part is that these assignment clauses are really important, but they're very hard to negotiate at the finish line, right? This is work that has to be done ideally when you're signing the contracts in the first place, but if not, ahead of a sale. Cause you know, we use the landlord examples because I think that's where we run into the most issues, but it can be even more impactful if you have the same thing with your customer contracts, right? If, if you have to, if a buyer has to re-engage every single customer and a customer chooses not to move forward with your contract, because you don't have that assignment clause, it can drop the value of your business dramatically. Yeah. And you might want to get alternative contracts too. I mean, you might want to have two sources of supply. We've seen that before. You might want to balance your suppliers, even though you might have to pay a little more with some other supplier. You know, supply chain issues these days are killing deals or actually making them more expensive. And so you want to make sure that you have that flexibility because, you know, it's all about risk aversion with these buyers, right? They're, and their lawyers and their accountants and their advisors and the banks are all looking for the downside of a business deal. And yeah. if you can minimize that downside by having assignable contracts or flexible contracts or all those kind of things, uh, people are going to be more attracted to your business. Yeah. And speaking about downsides and risk aversion, um, the next thing I recommend in the article is to create an owner's manual for your company. And this is key processes, tasks that you and your employees perform being documented ahead of a potential sale. And this includes your role as the owner too, right? Actually, that's probably the most important one because you're the one that is guaranteed to be leaving the company. But in terms of protecting the downside, a lot of buyers, you know, they have two big concerns. They, they're concerned that the customers are going to leave and they're concerned the employees are going to leave. And one of the better solutions of, you know, what if the employees leave is having a well-documented processes and systems, a manual, so you can replace that person very easily in the future. Yeah. And cross-trained people as well. You know, we had a large sheet metal uh, company that used to manufacture uh, hurricane shutters. And it was a very, you know, a business that, you know, ran like clock, but it ran like clockwork because the owner was involved in everything, right? And so the first private equity group that came in, and this is a company that was making millions, first private equity group came in and eventually pulled out during due, due diligence and saying, you're everything to this business. We can't buy this business, you know, because you're too much of a risk. So what he did was he learned his lesson 
and he went back and he wrote a manual for the whole business down to how many screws are included in every single order. Every single order had a pick list. Every single job had a, a, you know, a, a project management software attached to it. And he did a great job of automating his business to the point where he used to go into the office once a week just to prove his point that he didn't need to be there. And the business sold for a lot more money. It's, I mean, it's super impactful. I mean, we call it owner absentee run businesses in, in the business brokerage industry, but it can really dramatically increase your value. We also, another great example. Um, so restaurants are notorious for having high turnover. And we sold a restaurant a couple of years back for a, actually a higher than average multiple. But the reason was they had documented the roles of each person in the restaurant industry and had created such a great system for hiring, onboarding, and training that they could fill a role trained, ready to go within less than a week. And that was extremely attractive to buyers. And they got a higher multiple and higher value of the business just because of that piece in an industry where you know you're going to have turnover. Like it's it's inevitable, right? Right. Yeah. So it's a big one. I mean, you really want to make sure that the buy, you know, again, the buyers want to buy something that can be easily bought. And the SBA used to be sticklers. They used to, you know, the banks used to be real sticklers for management experience in criteria for a buyer. And it was so funny. We just had a new new bank come in uh, yesterday and somebody asked the question, how do you feel about management experience? And they said, as long as that, you know, they were really loose with it. As long as the buyer has some uh, good experience in business, whether, you know, some somehow, and the owners have good documentation on how to run that business, and that's why the SBA and businesses love franchises too, because they have an manual, they have a success guide as we do here at Transworld. So that's what you really kind of want to do for your business. So it's a, it's a great point. And the last point is you're not going to be able to sell your business if you have a horrible reputation, especially online. Yeah. Unfortunately, look, this is the world we live in today. Everything is rated and reviewed online. Um, and, and this goes for offline too. I think online is just much more in your face and it's much easier for buyers to get access to. So leading up to a sale, you have to clean up your online reputation. And that doesn't mean necessarily like, I know there's a lot of companies out there. Some are good, some are bad, some are ugly that will clean up your online reviews, get you, you know, We'll call them less than real um, positive reviews. But there's a lot of things that you can do um, to tackle your online reputation. First, you can, you can go out to the customers that have loved you, your partners that have loved working with you, and get some positive reviews to bury some of those negative ones. Um, the other thing I love, and this is actually a tip, Andy, I don't know if you remember, this was um, at the United Franchise Group Conference back in like 2018 or 19, and there was a speaker that said, if you respond in a compassionate and respectful way to a negative review, one third of the time they'll leave it, whatever, but you've, you've responded to it in a respectful way. One third of the time they'll take it down. And the other third of the time they'll actually change it to a positive review. So if you're responding to these negative reviews in a nice, respectful way, you know, suggesting to have the conversation offline and apologizing for their, your, their experience, two thirds of the time, it's actually going to work out in your favor. So, you know, being proactive about this and going back if you can, um, but also starting from today, listening to this episode, really controlling what your reputation is online is just going to boost the value of the business. It's going to boost the a number of buyers that are interested in it um, once they sign their NDA and find out what the business is. 
Yeah, it works for me too. I mean, listen, I was just looking on at Amazon at a product and it had like a four point something review. And I was just looking through the bad reviews. And I thought it was great that when they did have a bad review, they responded underneath it. And it's like, well, at least the company's trying. And these, you know, listen, you're always going to have a cadre of people that I call the cave people, you know, the citizens against virtually everything, right? So they they are just going to complain no matter what happens, right? They're, they don't They don't like the food. They don't like the service. They didn't like this. They didn't like the price. So as long as you respond, you show that, hey, listen, this is a complainer. Uh, and then you have, you know, again, your first point of burying the bad ones is good. I mean, you have to get some people to give you good reviews. So, yeah. And, and look, the people that love working with you will be more than happy to do this for you. You just have to make an effort and make that outreach and ask for the reviews. Explain you're a small business that, you know, your business depends on reputation online and referrals from great customers like them. We find most of our customers are happy to do that for us. Yeah. I mean, the, the, these are all great things to do when you're thinking about selling and you're getting ready to sell. So, I mean, I know we have, we have, we've been thinking about more content like this, where we're going to talk about like how to make your business better on top of, you know, because, you know, I, I just realized I've been doing this for 27 years, time flies. Right. And I was talking to some business owners this morning. I was at our our, our execs and we were presenting trans world and so many people are coming up to us and this, you know, I've been with this group for over 15 years and some of them are retiring now. And a lot of them came up to me talking about, you know, wanting to retire. And of course we always give them tips like this, but we want to help them get ready to retire. And we want to help you out there in the world, be more successful while you're in your business. Yeah. And, and like, look, a lot of these things that you implement in your business that we're going to talk about, we've got this episode, we've got a follow-up coming up on it too, is it's not going to just make the business better in the future for sale, but it's going to make it more efficient and more profitable for you in the short term. Right. So, I mean, who, like I said, most entrepreneurs want money and freedom, right? So if you can get some of that stuff now for yourself and not have to wait until you sell your business, you might as well take advantage of it. But the key to all this, Andy, that we were talking about when we were kind of in our, our green room before this is we can give you all the advice in the world. We can give you all the success and non-success stories, but there's one key thing that actually has to happen in order to implement the change. Yeah. You got to go out there and do it. You got to do the work. I mean, uh, you got to show up get your hands dirty, roll up your sleeves and implement these things. And so to do that, sometimes you need a good coach. And so we're going to be talking to some coaches as well. Yeah. So we've got a great um, interview coming up for this episode. Also, like I said, we've got a follow on episode of part two of this one. Where we're going to bring on some coaches and partners that actually jump in and help do that work because we know that you're super busy as business owners. So sometimes that's of a benefit too. And then we also like always have some great deals of the week, listings of the week for you to check out. So let's get to it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking about coaching. We're talking about making your business more valuable. You know, Jessica and I uh, were 
talking on the intro and the intro to the last one about CEOs and how they can make their business more valuable. And Jessica and I were talking about it and we were just saying, hey, most CEOs get stuck. And we're like, how do we get them unstuck? And I said, I know how we get them unstuck. There are some great business coaches out there in the world and none better than who's sitting with me right now, John Arnold, my dear friend and amazing business coach. So John, welcome to the show. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate it. So John, um, we've talked many times offline. I know that you know, you've know you done coaching for some of my CEO friends and uh, you've even coached me on several of my personal things that have happened in my life. Uh, and John, you know, what are you seeing out there is in, in general? I mean, yeah, we were talking a little bit beforehand and you see a lot of stressors out there in the world. Yeah, Andy, there's probably more stress uh, inside companies and organizations that I've seen in a very long period of time. You know, you had the pandemic that was the initial uh, kickoff to the stress that's been happening. You've got people resigning, the great resignation. You know, there's a title for all of this. And at the same time, you know, business leaders and business owners are experiencing stress like they've never experienced before. And most of that comes from, you know, how do you plan for the next unexpected business disruption, which is a question that I asked leaders at the end of last year. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, yeah. How are you planning for the next unplanned business disruption? And so whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're running a big company or a small company, you're experiencing stress like you've never experienced before, whether it's the battle for talent, uh, people leaving, whether you know this, this competition for talent is, is really amazing. And it, it has no geographic boundaries because you can work remotely from anywhere. And the other thing that I, that I see business leaders struggling with is they want someone to tell them the truth. They want someone to be a confidential sounding board. And I've been doing this for over 20 years. And I've positioned myself to be that confidential sounding board who's also not afraid to ask the hard questions. And it's not the typical, you know, what keeps you up at night? It's, it's the question where the business leader is being challenged with a, to solve a particular problem. And I, I like to use the phrase, okay, what's the risk and impact to the business? Hmm. And they'll go, what does that mean? And I'll say, well, if you make this decision, what's the risk and impact to the business? And if you go down this path, what's the risk and impact to the business? especially if it involves people, because once it involves people, it's likely to become an emotional decision, which is always a bad decision. So I, I, like, the, I like to use the phrase, what's the risk and impact of the business? Because that gives the business leader or the business owner the opportunity to step back and think about, yeah, what is the risk and impact of the business based on the decision that I have to make? Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, you know, again, we're we were talking about and what led up to this conversation was that we're talking about increasing the value of your business. And I, I always feel like we're giving this great advice out there in the world. And a lot of times people don't take it. They're just like, they have, they, they have inaction. They, they, they can't get, a, you know, they, they have paralysis by analysis, I always say. So how, how does, how do you help that? How do you break that log jam? I mean, like you said, they have all these stressors, they, a lot of times they know what they need to do, but they're not willing to do it. So how do you kind of go in there and 
kind of help them? Great question. It's been my experience over the years, Andy, that business leaders, primarily business owners, <clears throat> really struggle letting go. Letting go for them is one of the most painful things, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you own a small business because you've built that business around you or that business is you. And letting go, really? You want me to let go? I created this. Yeah, that's great. And the longer you hold on to it, the faster you go down with the ship. Mm. That's just reality. And even with some of the, the, the corporate leaders I work with, you know, they'll come up with a list of these are my goals. That's great. How good at you are letting go? Oh, don't ask me to do that. You know, this is really important to be great. What's the risk and impact to the business if you continue to hold on to that? So if you're an entrepreneur or you're thinking about selling your business, which is your expertise, you know, getting someone to let go is really important. And I'm sure you've experienced this, Andy. Sometimes it's less about the money and it's 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 more about how do I let go of what I've created? And, and some of that's ego. And, and you know, you, you you deal with that. But that's really, you know, when I'm coaching a leader and they have this list of goals, one of the things I, I ask them is, you know, what are you what are you worried about letting go? What's the thing that you know you need to let go of and you can't? So we'll work through that because there's a risk and impact to the business if they don't find a way to let go. You I, and that's interesting. I mean, and it, that's so true. And, uh, you know, of course, you got my mind spinning, spinning of what things <laughs> I should be letting go of. And we talk about that a lot out there in the world and uh, the, of things that I should be uh, letting go of. And so uh, and and it's certainly obviously letting go. And I think I've done a pretty good job of building my organization and being able to delegate. So I, I think you know, I've seen you work with some very strong individuals. I won't mention their occupations because that might give away who you've worked with in the past, but I know you've worked with some very focused, very disciplined, very um, strong entrepreneurs. And, you know, I, I've seen you make a huge impact in their lives. So why don't you talk a little bit about how, how do you break out of that mold of letting go? Great question. <clears throat> I think the one thing I really pride myself on is telling people the truth. And sometimes the truth makes us really uncomfortable. Forget the phrase, the truth hurts. Of course it hurts. But it's really important sometimes for entrepreneurs, especially, to get uncomfortable. And they just don't like being uncomfortable. They want to be in control. You see this all the time it, with the business owners that you're dealing with, whether it's a buyer or a seller. So when I'm working with a leader, you know, part of my work with them is to get them comfortable being uncomfortable. I had a chemistry call with the CEO a couple of weeks ago who, uh, after I asked him a couple of questions, he goes, he goes, man, you really ask hard questions. I said, I do. I'm also compassionate because I coach the whole person and they'll go, what does that mean? I want to know how someone's doing physically, mentally, and spiritually because I work with the whole person. It's not just on two or three goals. I, I want to understand what makes that person tick. Are they taking care of themselves? If they're not, what's in the way? What are they willing to let go of so that they can bring themselves back to that, that true north, whatever phrase you want to use? So, you know, my style is very direct, but people hire me to deliver results, but it's not without compassion. And 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 that's interesting. And I have worked with you in the past, and I know, uh, being friends with you, that you do take very good care of yourself, and you're in shape, and you 
done things uh, like uh, martial arts and things like that. And and perhaps to to your detriment, every once in a while, I see you with a black guy or something. But (laughs) so, so so is that part of it? Is that part of coaching the whole person of kind of getting their lives straight first? Absolutely. It it comes from the very beginning, from the very first call, because I always ask the leader, especially if we're doing a chemistry call, tell me about you personally. I'd like to get to know everything you're open to telling me. And they might tell me about a family or a partner or something. Then they'll ask me why. And I said, because if there's an aspect of your personal life that's out of balance, it's going to show up at work. Hmm. If I'm working with a leader who says, you know, I really need to lose 20 pounds. Okay. Go lose 20 pounds, lose a pound a week until it takes you 20 weeks. Don't try to do it in a week. You know, but it's it's important uh, to, for me to understand how they show up. A few weeks ago, I had a leader and I could tell as soon as they got on the call that something was going on. And he shared something very personal with me and said, you know, I, I don't think we'll do the work today. Can we postpone it? He shared what was going on and I let go. It, it would have served no purpose for us to painfully go through a coaching call if in fact he didn't deal with the situation he had to deal with that was personal. Mm. So it's important for me to make that connection. And and I'll tell you, I do a really good job of connecting with people. I love people. But if I can't make that connection with the leader early on, the work's not going to be fulfilling for either one of us. So that's what I mean about coaching the whole person. And it's not about politics or religion. It's mostly family, hobbies, how do they take care of themselves? Because I'll know as we're working together what's out, what's what's kind of off for them based on something else that's going on in their lives. Right. And and so in coaching beyond the whole person, now you have to kind of dive into their organizations. So, you know, how do you make them more effective or help them move the needle in their own organizations? And not that we're giving away secrets here, sure, but, you know, sure. a lot of times we're just trying to, I'm trying to understand, you know, what stops a leader from doing what they need to do? Great question. Sometimes what stops them is their own people, meaning, you know, they have, a leader has built a great executive team. He or she has done a masterful job at building a great team. And, you know, guess what? In order to take that company to the next level, they might have to make the difficult decision of asking someone to step down from that senior leadership team or executive team, because you know they got them to this level, but they're not able to take them to the next level. So that means they're going to have a have to have a really difficult conversation. And I get away from you know people talk about conflict. Oh, I don't want to talk to Andy because I know it's going to be a conflict. Well, guess what? If you think it's going to be a conflict, it will be a conflict because that's how you prepare. It's like preparing for battle. But if you prepare to have a difficult conversation that's going to be in the best interest of both parties, then that's how you prepare. So, you know, if you're if I'm working with a leader who wants to really take his team to the next level and really get them to be high performing, let's talk about that. You know, hey, Andy, I want to I want to I want to create a high performing team. Great. What does that mean? Who, Who do you invite to play? What, what are you looking for them to do? What's going to be the impact on your company if, in fact, you do have a high-performing team? Or, you know, you have a leader who really wants to flex up his or her executive presence. They want to take their own game to the next level. Or they might be looking to um, really create a strong succession plan, and they've got two potential candidates. You know, how do I make that decision? 
well, let's create a plan together and see who rises to the top. Right. You know, and, and with the with the pandemic, you've got, you, you know, you've got, you know, companies all over the place who had to reinvent their strategic plan or maybe take their vision that they had in 2019 and uh, reinvent that vision for 2020, 2021 and 2022. You know, right now you've got people that are planning for 2023 and 2024, but the vision they put in place prior to that no longer serves the company. So sometimes vision planning and doing vision work is difficult because they feel they need to do it by themselves. And I provide a space where we can do that together. It's uh, it's a very comforting thing. I, I always say entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is a lonely thing, right? You, you can't necessarily go home and unload to your spouse or people at home, you know, your family, because you don't want to scare them if there's <laughs> things going wrong. And, and it, you certainly can unload to your employees sometimes because so it's kind of a lonely thing. So having a coach, I would imagine is, is uh, very cathartic at least for, you know, for, and I I've watched you coach a lot of different coaches uh, thinking one in particular, Melissa, who is a dear friend of ours. Uh, and, and so there's different, um, do you have to adapt your coaching style to uh, the person or more the organization, right? Is it is it more like, you know, so Melissa was in charge of junior achievement and she was in, um, you know, were, were you more worried about the, how to coach her for the organization or more worried about how to coach Melissa for Melissa? That's a great question. So for me, it's about coaching the person first. Right. You know, I really want to work with that person. I want to find out what their demons are, where they struggle, what are the things they won't tell anybody else. Um, and and get that leader to take his or her game to the next level so that he can bring the rest of the organization along with them. So for me, it's always about the person. And sure, there are two or three really important goals, you know, building a high-performing team, creating strong executive presence, work on their communication skills. That's great. So as a result of doing that work, what do you expect the organization to do? So for me, in my style, it's always about working with the leader first so I can get them to build a solid foundation to take their leadership game to the next level so they can bring their teams and organization along with them. And it's no different than an entrepreneur. I mean, I worked with an entrepreneur a couple of, a couple of years back and he, after spending a day with, in the office with his team, he said, he said, what do you see the problem to be? I go, well, you're the problem. He, he was like, what? And I go, I go, yeah, you're in the way. Right. You got to get out of the way so people can grow, so people can make mistakes, so people can fail. It's not going to cost you money. Right. And so oftentimes, I think entrepreneurs, it's been my experience, they struggle with that, you know, when do I, you know, yes, let go, but when do I get out of the way so that other people can grow, flourish, fail, make mistakes? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, I, I think a lot of... Um, entrepreneurs are, you know, oftentimes, and if we're talking about increasing the value of your business, you have to do exactly that. You have to let your team, you know, the buyer is going to want to be able to jump into your seat and run the company. And if you're the chief cook, bottle washer, visionary, uh, worker, mastermind of this whole thing, that's very scary to a buyer. 
But if you're a guy who's been, you know, someone who's been coached, whose team is in control, whose team is doing the heavy lifting, whose team is performing at a higher level, that's a much more valuable business to a buyer. Yeah. The funny thing about being an entrepreneur for me is I think we all have an inner entrepreneur. You know, many of us had paper routes, many of us cut grass, many of us shoveled snow, depending upon where you, you know, we were like, this is my money. This is my business. Then you realize in order to take that business to the next level, that's pretty scary. <laughs> so right. we went, we went, we went, we went out and got jobs and started careers. So being an entrepreneur, I think we all growing up had a little bit of that. I mean, I've been on my own now for 22 years, but I've been fortunate enough to align myself with other leadership organizations. So I've got, I have partnerships in place, but it can be scary, you know, and going back to that letting go thing, I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to get uncomfortable so that they can get comfortable and make the right business decision for them, their business and their employees. It's a very, very, very wise words. Um, Kind of wrapping this up into a, you know, what's the, you know, what's the best way to work with you? What's, you know, what's your preferred method? Do you like to, I I know you've traveled all over the world uh, helping people. So there's no boundaries to this, right? No boundaries at all. In fact, I'm working with a CEO in Germany as we speak. So yes, no boundaries. There are no boundaries to this business. The only boundaries that that come up are the ones that leaders put in front of them. Right. And uh, I know you're a busy guy, but if somebody wanted to talk to you <laughs> and, and get more information, what's the best way to get in, in touch with you, John? Great. Thanks, Andy. Well, my email ad- address is john, J-O-H-N, at John S arnold.com so john at j-o-h-n-s-a-r-n-o-l-d.com my cell phone is 954-294-7053 and my office line is 954-796-6001 and i'm happy to talk to anybody that it doesn't cost anything it's just a matter of having the curiosity or courage to pick up the phone or send me a note yeah and uh, i will tell everybody who's listening Again, I've run into a lot of coaches in my life and none better than John. John is an amazing uh, coach. Uh, He asks you, like he said, very tough questions, but again, with compassion, with an eye on, you know, kind of doing the right thing for all the parties. And uh, again, you know, John, thank you for all the coaching that you've done pro bono for some of our leading nonprofits here in South Florida. You've done a great job with them as well. So uh, thank you for all of that. Any parting advice for people out there? Like you said, we're just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, how are you planning for the uh, next un- unexpected, uh, unscheduled business disruption? So, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or, or a business owner or a, an executive, um, pick up the phone and call a coach. I mean, we, they can be great resources. You know, everything you talk to them about is confidential. And, you know, quite often you're going to find that confidential space to be comfortable and uncomfortable. So, Andy, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to speak with you today. I really do. I appreciate that. And, you know, you. You're, you're the best. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. And everyone, uh, take John's advice. Uh, either give John a call or give someone else a call. Uh, It's an invaluable service. And if you want to take your company to the next level, uh, you usually need some help and guidance. And uh, John can certainly do that for you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Andy. 
Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is Listing of the Week, and we have a great listing. We have Mark Keene from Transworld Business Advisors of Boston. And very interesting, he's going to talk about an industry that we talk a lot about in the South, but this one uh, has a dual purposes up here in the North. So, Mark, why don't you tell us about it? Uh, thanks very much, Andy. So we have a pretty good size north of Boston commercial landscaping company. And they also do snow plowing, snow removal. This particular company has been in business for about seven years. We're looking for a list price on this property of $985,000. Seller's discretionary earnings consistently around $350,000 per year. And I think we might even have a buyer at this point. So Yeah, it sounds like a great deal. And it's funny because I did a speech at the Lawns uh, I forget what the lawn's last name uh, is. The, the lawn doctor, right, right, right. Lawn doctor franchise, and a lot of those guys make more money from snow plowing than they do landscaping. That's actually right, uh, Andy. So their split of business is 60 percent with the snow removal. Uh, that was based off last year's numbers, and forty percent with the commercial uh, upkeep of properties. All right. Well, it sounds like a great deal. So they have good books and records. Yes, everything looks pretty good. We'll find out today. We have both the buyer and seller coming into our Transworld office this afternoon. Excellent. So hopefully we get a deal done. But if you want to get that deal before it sells, Mark, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, you can just contact me directly uh, or actually email is probably the best way. mkeen at tworld.com. All right, we'll drop that in the show notes. Mark, thanks for coming aboard today. Right, thanks very much, Andy. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, welcome back. And it is deal of the week. And I have the one and only Aaron Fox with me from Transworld Business Advisors of Boston. And I am here in Boston. I'm having a great time. Aaron, welcome to the show. And you just got like, what are the deals that we do a lot of? You just got it salon done. Yeah. No, thanks, Andy, for having me. I always love talking about these. You know, at Transworld, we have a lot of fun. A lot of times we're doing deals that it's just you know, people who love what they do and want to do more. And um, so we just worked with a group of three, three stylists to buy the salon that they were working in from the retiring owner. And it was a fantastic deal. It was, uh, you know, you went into it, the cash flow was, was there. The owner was, you know, very profitable. They were doing over a million in revenue a year. So that was great. So we had a nice base to start with, but they hadn't really looked into this. So we had, you know, they weren't fully prepared for it because no one knows when retirement's going to happen except the owner. So we worked with them. We said, let's develop a plan. Let's get this together. And we introduced them to lenders, helped them with their business plan right through the process. And at the end, we have three very excited owners now of, of the salon that's going to carry it for the next 25 years. So it, it sounds like a great deal again, great deals for great people. So it was financed through the SBA? It was full SBA financing with the working capital line on top of it. Wow. And how much did it sell for? I ended up selling for uh, $250,000. $250,000. And it was making over $100,000, right? Yeah. So just about two-time multiple. Yep. Just about. Yeah. And, and the owner's retiring and the stylist bought it. So uh, sounds like a great deal. If somebody wants to sell more businesses like that, and I know that you, you do a lot of other businesses, but- What's the best way to get in touch with you? 
Sure. Uh, you can always reach out, uh, reach us on email, Aaron at tworld.com or uh, call us direct at 781-773-8922. Good deal. Great job. Thanks. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, we're back, and it is Listing of the Week, and I have Mark Lazarus for my old stomping grounds in New Jersey. And what else are we here to talk about other than what? Pizza. Pizza. It's (laughs) North Jersey. So, Mark, tell us about this great pizza place. There's so many pizzerias around, and they're all good. All good pizza in North Jersey. So I have one that's, it's on the high end for pizzeria. It's doing pizza people talking weekly income. It's 60,000 a week is the volume, which is a little over 3 million a year. And they're dropping about a million to the bottom line. It's a 4,400 square feet. It's split into two. It's got a pizza side and it's got a, a dining side. And the dining side's been closed since COVID. So somebody who comes in can open up the dining side also, they did a huge lunch business, which had dropped off due to COVID, and that hasn't really come back yet. And they're still doing better numbers than they did pre-COVID. So we're asking for $2 million, and this, this business can be SBA financed. So it's something that has upside potential, and it really hums. It's 35 years old. Two brothers own it, and they're ready to sell off in the sunset. Wow, that sounds like an amazing deal. Million-dollar bottom line, you could finance that over 10 years. So it sounds like you'd have some serious cash flow. Exactly. It's it's amazing for pizzeria. Excellent. So what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, email ML, my initials at tworld.com. And my phone is 201-370-9600. All right, Mark. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Mom, Dad, I humbly suggest you save some money and shop Amazon for back to school. It's for my growth meaning my body's growing at an alarming rate. And clothes you buy me this year will be very small very soon. Plus, the clothes I love today will be out of style tomorrow. But at least your wallet doesn't have to be my fashion victim if you shop low prices for school at Amazon. Hopefully this is helpful. Amazon. Spend less, smile more. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.